For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in New York football podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode of the New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, subscribe, rate, comment, do it all. It's all greatly appreciated. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. The NFL draft has come and gone, and man, was it everything I would have hoped for and more. Um, We got a nice in-home viewing of what kind of went on behind the scenes with these GMs and head coaches and owners. Uh, We saw their families. We saw some dogs. Bill Belichick's dog made an appearance, more than Bill Belichick. Uh, we had a little bit of everything. And, and a part of me feels like I'm living in that one part of Fast and Furious when Vin Diesel and Paul Walker drive away from each other and See You Again is playing. When I see you again. But it, it like, so it's a visual meme. Just ex- like picture Vin Diesel is sports and I'm Paul Walker and we're just parting ways and I'm just uncertain of when the heck we're going to get live sports again Uh, and we're splitting up with no idea in what direction we're going exactly in but hey you know what Uh, virtual mini camps I guess you could say for rookies is going to begin in two weeks the NFL said Um, we'll see we'll see where sports go Um, but the NFL draft fit our palates just enough for the lack of sports we had And it was good. And in regards to the Giants and the Jets, man, do we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Today's show is a full draft recap. We're going to break down each pick from both the Jets and the Giants. Uh, We're not going to get into grades so much. Uh, Just break down exactly what the players, who the players were, what they're going to do for each team. And I'll just give you an idea of exactly how and if they'll be able to fit uh, when these teams get on the field, get on the grass, and come together. Uh, we also had some Army and Rutgers players receive some phone calls from the NFL. They'll get a shot to make some teams. I'll give a shout-out to our local guys and let you know where they're heading. But first, I'm going to recap my best bets from the NFL draft. I went 3-for-5 on my best bets. I took some chances on the 2-I loss. It's okay. It happens. Uh, Would have loved if the line fit me a little bit better. But I believe the hype. I listened to the smoke screens. And let's just start with the losers. Jeff Okuda went three. The bet was over four and a half. 
the Miami play was a smokescreen, and they ended up with Tua anyways. So that happened. And Jedrick Wills did not go in the top five. He uh, barely, barely was in the top 10 after being taken by the Browns at 10. So the hype got me on those two bets. But nonetheless, the Jets drafted a lineman, which was in positive odds. Justin Jefferson went over the 21 and a half pick mark. Uh, He went 22 overall to Minnesota. Thank you, Philadelphia, for giving me that bet by a half a pick there. Uh, The line was at 21 and a half. And for some reason, the Eagles apparently know something about Jalen Rieger that no one else knows about. Uh, Yes, he's fast, but uh, the fact that he went right before Justin Jefferson is something that will definitely bother Eagles fans. I'm sure it does. And it'll definitely follow those two as we move forward with their careers being only one pick apart from each other. So two for two on those. And then Jonathan Taylor went over the 37.5 pick mark. He went 41 overall to Indianapolis. So a winning weekend for your boy. Uh, Three of five were up one and a half units on the weekend. A solid way to get back into it. We pump out winners on the Believe in New York Football podcast. But with that said, let's switch over to the moves from Big Blue. So, for those of you who are day one listeners of the Believe in New York football podcast, you know we're only going to play the New York groove when the Giants do good. And in my opinion, uh, the Giants did very well. Uh, I haven't seen any grade lower than B. Don't worry, we'll give out draft grades on this show, just not this week. But um, in regards to the Giants as a whole, the big takeaway that I have out of all of this is that there was a plan. I know Dave Gettleman has always been a halfway decent drafter, um, at least compared to Jerry Reese, but that's not saying much. I do think Dave Gettleman can spot prospects. I've said that on the show before. Um, I've just been worried that he has no sense of direction of where the heck the team's going in, but I think they figured it out. Okay, Because at this point, the now post-Eli Manning era, And unfortunately for Eli, they didn't have this uh, for when he was on the team towards the tail end of his career. But they invested in the offensive line. They know their two biggest investments, their last two top first-round picks, are Daniel Jones and Saquon. So what did they do? We dove into the offensive lineman category of the draft continuously. We just kept going, and I had zero problems with it. I think uh, when you really look at the Giants draft here, and I'm going to go pick by pick for you guys, uh, you can see there was a clear-cut plan. And um, yes, we're still going to have some spots to fill, but I think the overall message of this team, and Joe Judge has now been on record discussing players for the first time since he's become the head coach of the New York football Giants, uh, is that you needed to be versatile. You needed to have the the right skill set that they're looking for. You need to have some brains on you. You need to be durable. And I think all these guys that they did take are durable, versatile, have a head on their shoulders, no off-the-field issues really, and are going to come in 
light a fire under some of these guys' asses on this team, and they're going to compete. And I think that's what they're looking for. They're just chomping at the bit, waiting to get on the field. So let's just start with the number four overall pick, Andrew Thomas. And I had him going to the Jets. I had him falling because a lot of people had him as the number four tackle. And that's not to say he wasn't my top three tackles on the board. I mean, for me, I just feel like, and and the Giants have come out and said it, they all pretty much graded the same. I think you looked at you looked at Wirfs, you looked at Wills, and you looked at Thomas, all pretty much hand-in-hand. Hand. Surprisingly, uh, Becton fell, and people didn't have him as highly graded, which I understand. He was more of a low-floor, high-ceiling guy, and Wirfs fell, and I was higher on Wirfs. Uh, but Wills ended up going in the top 10, and Thomas ultim- ultimately ended up as the first tackle off the board, and really started hearing rumblings of Thomas being that first guy off when you heard that the Dolphins might trade up uh, to three and try to get him in front of the Giants. And I thought that was interesting because, uh, granted, they ended up with Tua anyways, and there was all this talk that they were going to take a tackle. And maybe if Thomas was there, they still would have. But, uh, you know, I don't think it influenced the Giants to taking Thomas. I think they tried to trade back, and they ultimately couldn't. They wanted to trade back with three of those guys having the same grades. They couldn't, so they took who they felt, and if you turn on the tape, was the best set ready to go left tackle in the draft. He can come in, go to left tackle, compete, and be ready to start come week one. And I think he is. He's the most experienced left tackle, uh, pure left tackle. I mean, Wills started right due to Tua being on the team, being a lefty. That's his blind side. But Thomas is the most experienced at left tackle, and his build is still insane. He's 6'5", 315, gave, gave up no more than two quarterback pressures in a single game since 2017. That stat is insane. Guy's amazing at pass pro, plus enjoys running the ball more than even protecting the quarterback, which should just light up for Giants fans because Saquon needs to get going if this team is going to be good. And you want to protect the passer, which he's very good at. He has long arms. And, you know, not for nothing. Yeah, he's not the overall already physical specimen that Makai Becton is. But, you know, in an NFL program, an NFL offseason, this might be a little bit different. His biggest knock is he has to gain weight. He's only 315 pounds. That's fine. I think he'll be able to put that on. I think his skill set, his IQ, his build, and his ability to be in a pro-ready system like Georgia, have that experience, have the proven durability that he has, goes a long way for the Giants. And I think he's going to come in and be ready to start uh, week one. Let's move to round two now. Let's move to round two because I think Thomas is the obvious one. Uh, you can lean either, either way. I know I should address the fact that we didn't take Isaiah Simmons, but I'm not going to. I, I, I'm not going to. Uh, he went to the Cardinals. I think he's going to be a very, very good piece for the Cardinals on defense, a defense that needed to really be changed if they're going to compete, especially with the offensive weapons they now have. I think they have an X factor to go along with Pat P and the league's leading sack leader uh, in Chandler Jones. So I think he has a good fit. I think he's on the right team for himself um, to really excel. But the Giants ended up playing this smart. And the reason I'm not going to harp on Isaiah Simmons now is because I think we got a guy who 
is a pure safety and is a utility player to the max of what Isaiah Simmons is. Now, Simmons went from uh, linebacker back to safety, and he was nickel. We, in the second round, got the steal of the NFL draft, uh, at least for round two, in Xavier McKinney. He was my top safety, and I had said, if he falls, he is ideal for the Giants. And not just because we need help in the secondary. This guy does it all. You talk about versatile, and I'm telling you, all these guys they got on this team uh, through this draft have that same factor. He is the quintessential strong safety-esque nickel guy that is not afraid to tackle, is a ball hawk playmaker, can get back in coverage, and is so fast off the edge. I mean, this guy, he's a freak. He's a freak. And, you know, comes from Alabama system. Judge has coached him. And I think despite people looking at it as, okay, yes, we needed a safety, uh, but what about edge? What about what about this? What about these needs? And it's, guys, if you have the opportunity to take the best safety available in the class, and this guy can do it all, and he's coming from a system where guys like Mika Fitzpatrick, we got Landon Collins in the second, and obviously Giants fans have fits about Landon Collins, but he was a steal and turned out to be an all-pro on our team. And I had the same vibes from him with the fact that he was falling. So I saw the writing on the wall that Xavier McKinney might fall to us, and man, that was a huge pickup for the Giants. Um, I would say the only downfall or downside, not downfall, uh, would be he doesn't necessarily fix our free safety issue right away. He could play free safety, sure. That's not his strong suit. And I think Joe Judge and both Judge and Gettleman addressed this in their conversations about the draft. It's that having these versatile players under Patrick Graham's system, everyone's going to play a little everywhere. And I think, you know, you're going to see McKinney and Peppers back there. You're going to see Julian Love get reps. I think Love is going to go back to get some corner reps. McKinney will probably be our straight cover the tight end nickel guy or our Sam backer which, you know, would be essentially where Simmons was going to fit. And he doesn't have the size of Simmons um, and maybe won't be able to necessarily body tight end so well. But his speed, athleticism, and just recovering ability, uh, I mean, if you turn on the tape, this guy stays hip pocket and just is all over receivers. It is not easy to catch a ball on this guy. So um, big steal, big grab. Um, so, so they address the immediate need of defense and then offensive line. So then what did they do in round three? Pick 99. Well, they did something that I think a lot of people were surprised about. The Giants went with a developmental offensive tackle, Matt Parrott from UConn. And this guy has the longest arms I've ever seen. He allegedly, and I, and I don't have the list of it, Apparently measured at the longest arms, uh, basically in the combine over the last couple of decades, which, which I believe he's six seven three eighteen. So he's even bigger than Thomas. Weighs about the same, but for a six seven frame. So if Andrew Thomas has to gain weight at six five three fifteen, you got to imagine Parrot's going to have to put on at six seven. The thing is, he's an athlete. He is an athlete, and. If you put on the tape, you could just see the raw potential there. If he can just get a little bit bigger, man, this guy is good in the run game, has very good pass pro. His only knock is going to be the fact that he's a work in progress and he's going to have to put on some weight. But 
this team is getting depth on this offensive line. They didn't stop there with Parrott, and I think they know he's going to be essentially an emergency guy and just a wait and see. And with the build of 6'7", 318, and the longest arms since Mr. Fantastic, I think I think that's a really good pick at three. I think he was an under-the-radar guy, but um, people who saw him in the Senior Bowl said he really stood out, and that's a big reason why the Giants got him. So we went with Matt Parrott, and then in round four, again, they went offensive line, defense, offensive line. They addressed the defense again, essentially getting another guy to really compete for the starting quarterback position, as well as help them with that nickel linebacker, utility, interchangeable, versatile piece, or that money position um, that they'll like to play in Patrick Graham's system, where you could either blitz off the edge or have to cover one of that, uh, either the slot or the tight end on the inside. So in the fourth round, the Giants decided to draft Darnay Holmes from UCLA. Um, Just off the back, you could tell his intangibles won't jump off the page at you. 5'10", 195, a little short-armed, but man, is this guy athletic. He has the NFL playmaking ability in his blood, a former, uh, a son of a former NFL player. Uh, the dude's athletic. He's a playmaker on defense, on special teams, um, can return punts. He, he returns interceptions uh, for touchdowns. He's done that a few times as well. Uh, if you put on the tape, he has some infamous tape shutting down Nikhil Harry. I'm not saying Nikhil Harry's a world beater, but playing over in the Pac-12, uh, limited competition, at least from the receiver standpoint. And, you know, when given the opportunity to rise to the occasion, he's done it more often than not. Uh, he had a sensational combine. He caught the attention of Deion Sanders during the combine. Uh, I distinctly remember that. Sharp hands. Uh, guy guy can make plays. But he's going to have to compete for that nickel position. He's going to come and make an immediate impact on special teams. And I think, again, with Joe Judge getting the special teams background is something he loves. And he's another guy that's going to be versatile and has the opportunity to just make an impact or make a splash wherever the heck he can. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for him. But now in round five, so again, offensive line, defense, offensive line, defense, follow the pattern. What do we do next? Yes, right. Offensive line. We go guard Shane Lemieux. And I loved the Xavier McKinney pick. Loved it. But Shane, Shane Lemieux might be my new favorite pick. Uh, that was before I turned on the tape on Lemieux. Guy is 6'4", 310. He never missed a game at guard. I mean, none of our linemen that we drafted in Parrott, Thomas, or Lemieux missed a game, missed a start, uh, went and given the opportunity to. Um, so very durable guys. But man, Lemieux can bring it. He had this neck roll. As soon as you turn on his tape, you see his neck roll. And you're just like, oh man, this guy's going to bring the pain. And boy, does he. He knocks people around. But he's also so strong in the pass game. He can pass off a blitz similar to Thomas. I mean, and to note on Thomas's strengths, he is one of the best at picking up blitz pickups. When I talk about that football IQ, he can pass along a blitz or a stunt to pick up the blitz better than most prospects that I've seen. And definitely better than some of the guys on the Giants offensive line. But... Nevertheless, uh, focusing on Lemieux, this guy has, he's just a brick shit house. He really is. If you put on the tape, you'll see it. He's durable and is going to come in and, again, be a depth piece, but will also come in and compete for the starting job at center. Uh, Judge has come out and said that he's going to be cross-trained, and he, although he didn't play that at uh, Oregon, you know, he, he's been 
prepping and repping and getting the chance to take snaps over the course of this quarantine to really get himself ready for the potential of becoming a center in the NFL. And the Giants are definitely going to give him looks at it. So getting a guy like Lemieux, again, all these durable linemen, I'm on board. I'm on board. Um, So now we're on the tail end of things. We're on the tail end of things here. We have a sixth and four sevenths. I'm not going to harp on all the sevenths too much. Um, I will give them some notes, but let's talk about our sixth round pick first. Cam Brown, outside linebacker from Penn State. Uh, real athletic, is going to be one of the most athletic linebackers we've had or at least have on the roster currently. Um, 6'5", 233. Uh, Coach Chaos really hyped this guy up, you could tell. Uh, Judge had mentioned it. Uh, Cam Brown really stood out. He was a team captain, two-year starter. Really plays the outside, but the issue is he's not really a pure pass rusher. He didn't have the sack numbers you'd love to see with an outside linebacker, and he's a little undersized at 233 to really be a pure inside guy. But I think Coach Chaos, being our defensive line coach, is probably going to try to use him off the edge a little bit with his quickness, uh, especially in some blitz packages with Pat, uh, Coach Patrick Graham. Uh, I, I think they'll be able to utilize him, and I think you know, similar to the offseason moves this coaching staff has done, they know this offseason is going to be a little different. They know that transitioning to a new coaching staff is going to be a little bit different and difficult uh, on both ends from players to coaches. And I think they're going to try to make themselves, um, you know, ease into it by getting guys that are familiar with their systems already and they know that they could get a lot out of. So I like the familiar pick on the defensive side of the ball in Cam Brown uh, and addressing the need for linebackers on this team. And and they would do that on the later rounds um, here for the next consecutive picks, to be honest, uh, because with round seven, uh, they start off by taking a edge linebacker in Carter Coughlin. We have a Coughlin back in New York, folks. Um, hopefully that means two more Super Bowls are on the horizon with that. But he's 6'3", 239, and... He led the Minnesota Beavers, and he led the Minnesota Golden Gophers both seasons, both of the last seasons, um, in 2020 and 2019, in sacks. He had four and a half last year, and that won't jump out at you, and it's part of the reason probably people forgot about him, and although those numbers might concern you a little bit, uh, don't let them, because the year before that, he had nine and a half sacks, uh, led the team, of course, as I mentioned, and the following year, again, if you didn't follow Minnesota football, they were a big-time team this year. They weren't the usual Minnesota you were used to. Uh, row the boat. Shout-out to Coach Fleck. Uh, he was a problem. Teams had to game plan for him. and That's a big result for those sack numbers going down. He's a pure edge. Um, I would only I would say his biggest knock in regards to the Giants because taking a guy with this talent uh, in the seventh round, it's hard to really knock him, but... The thing is, he doesn't answer our edge problem right away. And I don't think, you know, on the topic of edge, uh, Gettleman addressed it. They're trying to work in ties to maybe they're going to sign Marcus Golden again. And and he came out and said that, you know, sacks are an individual thing. But for them, they're going to try to make it a team thing. All the sack numbers don't have to come from one person. And I think if you look at Connor uh, Carter Coughlin and you look at a guy like Kyler Fackrell, uh, they have a similar body of work or a similar um, skill set in that they're going to be interchangeable pieces and just be fresh legs that are really bully, take up those tackles, and just wreak some havoc off the edge. And I think, uh, you know, for the seventh round, that's a very good value. 
So with that said, let's just touch on these last three picks because, again, we had so many seventh-rounders. Um, and with the undrafted free agents we signed, just to note, uh, we're going to have to make at least five to six cuts. So we'll see down the road. Of course, seventh-rounders don't really last too long anyways, but we'll keep going. The Giants took another linebacker. They doubled down. They went with TJ Brunson, a two-time captain from South Carolina. He's more of an inside guy, hard-nosed in the run game, doesn't really go sideline to sideline, not too athletic. Um He'll compete for that inside job and look to be some depth, uh, possibly our third guy in the inside behind Martinez, Conley, uh, and the works, even Mayo. So we'll see how TJ Brunson does. We then went with a cornerback also from the Golden Gophers in Chris Williamson, um, a, a pure over-the-top over uh, coverage guy, solid in man-to-man. Uh, we'll see. He's He's a little undersized. But again, I think Gettleman are, is bringing in these guys to come in and compete. And I think it's kind of uh, not necessarily like a win-win because obviously if you have a crop of bad people and you're the best of the bad candidates, it doesn't necessarily make your defense good. But in the terms of young guys that are hungry to make a team, uh, doubling down and getting a lot of the guys that either play similar positions or you know have the same build can't be the worst thing in the world when you're really just looking for an answer instead of just hoping and praying that this one guy's going to work out. Double down, get some pieces that, you know, if this guy doesn't work, maybe there's a good chance this guy thrives in that system in the same position. So with that said, our last pick here, we went with Mr. Irrelevant. We went Tay Crowder. Uh, I'm rooting for Tay Crowder. Uh, That's another bulldog on our team. And, you know, Inside guy, uh, he started as a running back with Georgia, put on the weight, uh, switched over to inside linebacker. Uh, another wait and see. A lot of these seventh-round guys are going to be that way. Um, of course, we need the linebacker help, but there's only so much room on the depth chart. So to Mr. Irrelevant, good luck, um, and we'll see how it goes. But that was the big blue draft recap there, and we're going to switch over and recap now the Jets side of things, who also surprisingly had a plan. This is why I'm hot. This is why I'm hot. This is why, this is why, this is why I'm hot. This is why I'm hot. All right, so let's talk about the New York Jets 2020 NFL Draft. And for first-year GM, at least for the NFL Draft, Joe Douglas was active. This man was wheeling and dealing. And before we break down exactly what went down, uh, nine picks they had, three trades, including one with New England and an immediate trade for a late pick, number 211, for a secondary depth guy in Quincy Wilson from Indianapolis. But let's go to the beginning. Round one, pick 11. And I don't want to say I told you so. Um, My mock, I had Andrew Thomas. That's fair. He did end up going to the Giants. Uh, But I went on radio, extra sports radio in Colorado. You could also check this out on our live stream. I retweeted it over at the NY Football Pod Twitter account. Um... I joined my guys on the from the LA Football Network, as well as the Charity Stripe, uh, as well as other Believe Podcast hosts for a NFL draft first round uh, live stream. And on the live stream, I said the Jets were going to go Mackay Becton right then and there. And they did. They chose Mackay Becton, the last of the top batch of 
offensive linemen, although they could have chose Tristan Wirfs too, who surprisingly fell. Um, they went with a lineman over a receiver, which I felt like made the most sense in a receiving class this deep. And we'll get to the receiver that they ended up addressing. They did go, as I said, they'll go lineman, then receiver, an obvious need. Uh, but with Becton, it's hard to pass on a refrigerator this size. 6'7", 364. Uh, the second most experienced left tackle, pure left tackle in the draft to Andrew Thomas. Uh, and it showed. I mean, you can't trust a guy, a swing tackle, and Noah Fant as your everyday left tackle. I think they knew it. I think we all knew it. And it was smart that they addressed that important need. Obviously, Becton, for some people, was so big that they were worried about his floor, his ceiling, you know, all these cliches. And I think when you really got down to brass tacks, there's no way you're going to pass on a guy with that size and the build of a future left tackle in your in your system. And I think he's a guy that you're going to bring him in. He's going to be ready to start right away, especially with the uh, the amount of mass and power he's shown, uh, especially with his speed. I mean, again, the combine speed doesn't mean anything, but just that build in itself and to be able to run a five flat 40 is uh, just shows the athleticism he has too. So, uh, you know, we'll see exactly how his size and speed and power matches up against the NFL. Uh, but to me, that was a smart move for the Jets and it shows that they're committed to protecting Sam Darnold, getting him some help as well as developing the run game with Lev Bell again, because if they want to be a winning team or at least productive on the offensive side of the ball, at all this year. It has to come from Darnold, and it has to come from Lev Bell. But now, to help those guys again, what do you do? You get another receiver to stretch the field out. And the Jets and GM Joe Douglas here, wheeling and dealing, moved back to 59, picked up some extra picks along the way, and a guy who was said to be the first pick to the Bengals on day two in round two, pick one, ended up falling all the way to 59, end of the second round, and the Jets, and you heard the intro song, they picked up Denzel Mims, this is why I'm hot, from Baylor, he's 6'3", 207, and the guy is one of the top receiving prospects in this class, um, I wouldn't put him past Jefferson, but I think he. you can argue he could go right ahead of Brandon Ayuk. Uh, and really hit the cusp of the top, the, the fifth best receiver in this class, I think. Um, I think his speed shows it. I think the only thing that lacks is his route running ability, but he has big play potential. He's got the hands to do it. Um, he sustained it. And, you know, the Jets played this smart. And I think Joe Douglas, again, similar to the Giants, they had a plan, and it was ballsy for him to to wait. They had a chance to get Mims earlier, they traded back. I didn't think they were going to get him. And man, did a plan come together for the New York Jets. I mean, Joe Douglas, again, three trades, that being one of them. They uh, they ended up making that trade uh, with New England. They traded 101 for the 125th and 129th pick. That would be in the fourth round, two fourth rounders. Uh, but they also picked up that extra third uh, with the Seattle trade. And they also had the first third from the trade with the Giants. So, who did the Jets end up taking with that first pick in the third? Uh, 68 overall from the Leonard Williams deal. Well, interesting. A guy who was tied to the Giants uh, for that safety need in Ashton Davis. Uh, 
uh, Ashton Davis, uh, you can say he was a Jim Leonard type of player, not just because he's a white athletic safety uh, who likes to lay the wood, but you know he's he's an over the middle guy. You can leave him over the center field of your defense, and he can make some plays. He's solid in the run game. That's probably his biggest knock. He'll have to improve there. It's just interesting. It's not that Davis wasn't a a great pick. I, I think he is a really good pick, but the Jets' safeties are legitimate already. You have Marcus May and Jamal Adams. So I would be interested to see if they're going to have Davis play more downhill, maybe in the box. I'll play that nickel position. I was telling you uh, the Giants were liking to play uh, in that strong backer position. Again, he's more of a pure over-the-middle uh, safety, more free, especially when you have Adams playing inside the box as much as he does. I just the, the biggest knock with Davis would be where exactly does he fit on this defense right away. And again, a lot of this is you take the best available and you figure out how they could help your team later down the road. Uh, as long as he's a good person, as long as there's um, potential there, worth the price of where the pick is, you you take them and you figure it out later. And I think the Jets did that. And I think Davis is a good pick. They'll just have to utilize uh, how the heck they're going to get all three of those safeties involved in the game. But there's no reason that depth is a bad thing, especially in your strongest position. Now, with the next third-round pick, the Jets decided to do something they like to do and take some Florida Gator uh, defensive players, and uh, they went with Jabari Zuniga, an edge rusher. He's 6'3", 265. Guy's explosive off the edge. Um, he's a little stiff, uh, lacks some flexibility, needs some work in the run game, but he has a strong burst and, and puts effort every day. Um on the field, you could just tell it in the way he plays the game. Uh, again, need, he's a little rough around the edges, needs some help in the run game, but his initial burst is explosive. And, uh, you know, worth a flyer, I guess, with your second, third round pick. And I think the Jets, if you notice the pattern here, uh, they had two fourths as well. It's like they made a good pick and then kind of didn't know what to do with the next pick, but they fill a need, they get an edge, they strengthen their defense a little bit more. Uh, the Jets didn't go defense in the first round, so it looked like they just needed to take a plethora of defensive players after the fact. So um, they ended up going with Zuniga there with their second, third round pick and would then have three fourth round picks courtesy of their own and the two they acquired from New England. Uh, but first with their own, they took LaMichael P. Ryan, uh, similar, well, he is the cousin of Samaje P. Ryan. Um, LaMichael was a running back from Florida. He's 5'11", 216 pounds. A strong runner for his size. Um, is going to be really be a scat back, uh, a passing guy, a third down type of receiving back. Uh, although Le'Veon is exactly that. Um, you know, the quintessential be on the field for all three downs. Um, he's a receiving type of running back as well. Um, I think P. Ryan's going to be a solid spell back uh, for his size. He can't necessarily create his own holes. Um but he's a hard-nosed runner. And I think quietly this was a need for the Jets. Um, obviously, Lev has had some injury concerns in the past. Um, he's getting up there a little bit in age. Plus, you know, with the whole controversy between him and whether the team will be successful or not, I'm not saying you need a running back for the future, but, you know, necessarily taking a flyer on one that could be uh, is not a bad thing. And, you know, Ty Montgomery definitely saw some time last year, and I think the Jets knew that, that wasn't it. Montgomery was getting up there in age. Um, and although he's, you know, he was a receiving back, he was mainly a receiver and wasn't a pure receiving running back. So I think P. Ryan will definitely give him a change of pace, third down 
uh, type of relief. And it'll be interesting to see how he accommodates himself into the offense. Um, but I assume that was an Adam Gase pick, and I'm sure they'll find a way to use him. Uh, they followed that pick uh, with a very New England-esque pick in that spot because New England did have that have that pick to begin with. But in with the 125th pick, the Jets took a backup quarterback here in quarterback James Morgan from FIU. I'm not going to harp on James Morgan too much. Um, I just thought it was interesting that they did decide to take a quarterback in this draft. And at that point, Jake Fromm was still available. So uh, they must know something about James Morgan that I don't know. His touchdown to interception ratio uh, was solid. I know that. I know he doesn't turn the ball over much, but we'll see. Especially if he gets on the field, I guess that's a a wait and see in the preseason type of thing. But uh, the Jets drafted James Morgan there, like I said. Looks like they made a solid pick and then kind of forgot what to do. But to combat that at 129, they did double down and did something similar to what the Giants did and took another offensive tackle to match their first round pick. And they took Cam Clark, uh, a Charlotte three-year starter. He's from Charlotte. Uh, He's 6'5", 308. Again, three-year starter, so he's experienced. And he's really the quintessential depth offensive tackle. Again, undersized, but has the build for it. He's really strong in the run game, and this man plays to the whistle. If you put on the tape, you'll see it. He just keeps going. If he has the opportunity, he's going to drive you into the ground, and that's the type of attitude uh, you would want in a future right tackle, especially alongside a guy that's as massive as Mekhi Becton. So the Jets played that smart. Uh, Obviously, he has to improve. Uh, his weight, I think he has to improve his pass protection a little bit. But for a developmental guy that doesn't have to come in right away, uh, I think it's smart to take a flyer on a need that you really have, especially because they invested money on the interior guys. You might as well get bigger on the outside and younger on the outside. So that wraps up the fourth. And then the Jets actually addressed the defensive side of the ball again, but they got a steal here. Uh, and I like this pick for them. I was hoping the Giants... Uh, Decided to pick him up, cornerback Bryce Hall from Virginia uh, with the 158th pick. He's 6'1", 202, long, tall, really good physical corner. Um, the thing is, he's a three-year starter. He was a captain of the defense. He just gets a little too physical. He's penalty prone, um, which I think is fixable. Hopefully that doesn't translate. He used to be a receiver, which makes sense, but his intangibles are there. I mean, the guy's an athletic freak. He's big enough to play corner. He's fast enough to play corner. And I think, you know, for a fifth-round flyer, it's it's worth it. It's really worth it to take a shot on a guy like Bryce Hall whose ceiling uh, and leadership qualities are more than there. And then to wrap us up here with the sixth-round pick and the final pick for the Jets. Again, the Jets traded their 211th pick, uh, their seventh-rounder, uh, for Quincy Wilson, a secondary guy from the Colts. Um, so they wrapped up in the sixth, and with the sixth-round pick, 191 overall, uh, the Jets selected, I think, the best punter in the draft in Brandon Mann. Um, I wouldn't normally say go watch a punter's highlight tape, but this guy does. He pins people inside the five like nothing. He has a boot and a half. Um Pat McAfee even tweeted about something. He punted from the back of his end zone and it ended up on the opposite 20, which is just insane. Um, Crazy backspin. He can just drop the ball dead sometimes. Uh, He's from Texas A&M. Some of the best punters in the the game have come from Texas A&M. And for the Jets, uh, 
you know, win the special teams game, right? If you get an, a, a leg up, get a leg up. And I think uh, Brandon Mann might provide that for uh, for them. He, he, he's awesome. He's awesome. I was watching his highlights when they drafted him and even after the fact. And if you really want to get a kick um, out of a player or become a fan of someone the Jets drafted, uh, you could definitely root for Brandon Mann to uh, make the starting lineup because this guy is a uh, special teams mercenary of uh with his ability so uh the Jets overall a a solid draft as well a clear-cut plan you could tell they wanted to address the needs uh in the secondary as well as fix the offensive line if and when possible they did not commit to the offensive line as much as the Giants uh, but they did address the tackle position uh, especially with their first in Mekhi Becton as well as taking a uh developmental tackle but overall solid solid days for both the Giants and Jets, and a lot to look forward to from both sides. Uh, I think there's a lot of hope and young potential there. Uh, They definitely didn't have the worst. I'm not sure if they've had the best, but they had smart drafts, and they had clear-cut plans on both sides. And and for fans that have seen those two franchises kind of wander like a chicken with its head cut off uh, senselessly in the wrong directions, it seems like they may be heading in the right directions as of right now after this draft. So a lot to look forward to. Uh, we're almost done here with the show. We're almost about to wrap up, but we're just going to note here uh, that after the draft, there's tons of undrafted free agents. And although no Army Black Knights or Rucker Scarlet Knights got uh, got drafted per se, plenty of them did get signed and get a call after the fact. And I'll start with a friend of the program, someone who's going to eventually come on this show and give us his experience of uh, getting the call from the NFL and just pursuing his dream at the next level in linebacker Colt Christensen, um, the Army defensive captain, tackle leader Christensen had 112 tackles, 63 solo, two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, and um, really was the tone setter for the Army Black Knights these past two seasons. Um, The Los Angeles Chargers gave him a call, and it looks like he's going to get an opportunity to make that team... uh, Christensen had an awesome collegiate bowl. He had two fumble recoveries and one of them forced and is well deserving of an opportunity to uh, make an NFL roster, especially with his abilities. So uh, congrats, Cole. We'll talk to you soon. Christensen was not alone. He was accompanied by two fellow Black Knights, including the all-time leading cornerback tackler in Black Knights history, Elijah Riley. Signed a deal with the Eagles. Riley's 201 career tackles is the most by an Army cornerback in history. He had 79 tackles last year, 55 of those solo. Led the team with three interceptions, had four sacks, six pass defenses, three forced fumbles. The guy has a hit stick, can cover, can really do it all. Elijah Riley um, also joined Christensen at the Collegiate Bowl. Um, Both of them big-time playmakers. Uh, But someone who didn't go to the Collegiate Bowl and um, kind of flew under the radar, got his opportunity as well. Fullback Connor Slomka will get the opportunity to make an NFL roster with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Slomka will probably join the team as a fullback, which was his natural position. Uh, He had 149 carries for 658 yards. He had eight rushing touchdowns last year, and I wish all three of those Black Knights the best of luck. Um, Go Army, beat Navy. Uh, I guess just a note, not really for Army, but Trey Wingo called uh, quarterback Malcolm Perry the quarterback for Navy. Um, He mentioned that Malcolm Perry was the quarterback for Army. Definitely, I'm sure, um, not the best thing to say for a 
for two schools that are very passionate about one another being differentiated, especially on the football field. But uh, Malcolm Perry did end up getting drafted in the seventh round, and uh, he got taken by the Miami Dolphins. That was a little tidbit there. Uh, but there were also two Rutgers players, two Scarlet Knights, also got the call. Uh, someone we've mentioned on this show before, Kamal Seymour. He also was a member of that Collegiate Bowl team. He was a member of the all-academic Big Ten team three times, uh, and he got the call from the Las Vegas Raiders. And arguably Rutgers' most valuable player, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Willington Pavilion, a defensive end. He started all 12 games in 2019 for the Scarlet Knights, had 35 tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss. He's going to get the opportunity to make a team with the Green Bay Packers. So good luck to the Black Knights, as well as those two Scarlet Knights that I mentioned in uh, Seymour and Pavilion. But that's it for our show. No guests this week. Uh, We'll get a guest on for you guys next week. uh, We'll possibly give out some draft grades as well as winners and losers next week. Uh, And a lot to look forward to as we look like we're over the peak here with the coronavirus. And there may be sports, even though they'll be without fans. Uh, There may be some sports in our near future, so fingers crossed on that end. But um Hope you guys appreciate the recap here for both the Giants and Jets. Again, I think they both did solid jobs. And um, you could also check all this stuff out as well as follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. Be sure to download, like, rate, subscribe wherever podcast platforms are available including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, as well as the Believe website, BLEAV.com. We are the Believe in New York Football Podcast. I will check you guys out next week. Uh, Be sure to tune in. I hope you guys enjoyed. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.